Welcome to Compelling Communicators, a podcast where we learn some golden communication truths from compelling communicators from wide ranging fields, including teaching, mediation, youth work, mental health nursing, counseling, expressive arts modalities, and community development. Hi, everybody. Rachel here, introducing you to John Bunce a teacher of English language to adults who are learning English as an additional language and a teacher trainer of language teachers, some of whom come with teaching qualifications from within the school system and others who are new to teaching. John is also a dear friend of mine whom I first met when he was teaching me to be a language teacher. Since that time, I have completed a Master of Teaching and yet the lessons he instilled in me through his empathy, generosity and humour and his trusted pedagogical guidance remain the foundation of my own teaching practice years later. Simply put, John taught me how to teach. I chose to start this podcast season with my interview with John because of my trust in his skills as a teacher and as a teacher of the English language. This makes him and his experience preeminent in the realms of communication, because not only does he analyze how to teach, which is all about how to impart complex ideas to learners, he also knows how the English language is constructed and for what purposes, and brings this knowledge to all aspects of meaning making through communication. In addition to these skills, he has the extraordinary ability to build psychological safety and trust in the spaces he teaches in, where the practice of skills and the receipt of feedback are all to enhance learners' skills and are routinely present. John's core value of honesty and openness which includes being able to give and receive feedback constructively to assess yourself and your performance and make necessary changes, fundamentally influences his approach to his work as a person who also opens his classroom for his practice to be observed and analysed. In the following conversation, listen out for what John considers the dilemma of communication to be why modelling clear communication is critical to those involved in any exchange, how to balance enough time and space for the receiver to process content heard, and when to use written or spoken communication for the biggest impact on the receiver, especially when sharing feedback. Now over to John to introduce himself. Uh, my name is John Bunce. I'm primarily a um, English language teacher to speakers of other languages. Um, but allied to that, I'm a teacher trainer of people who are going to teach English to speakers of other languages. Um, part of that is direct training. Part of it is also writing curriculum for courses that um, lead to qualifications at different levels. Thank you. Um, I know that you have many other strings to your bow, but we will get to those, I'm sure. Thanks for telling us about your 
your role as a, as a teacher, as a teacher trainer, and as a writer of mm. curriculum, of learning resources. Uh, can you tell us about a value that's important to you in your life in general? Um, lots of lots of things, really. Um, what's what's a value? I think honesty um, and openness. Um, on personal level, and also, I think being open, not 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 um, being able to receive, being able to um, being able to assess yourself and and make changes. I think I, I think I'm very aware of that now. That it's very easy to get stuck into sort of routines and habits of thought, and um maybe this is a like a, a a washback from my professional practice but i'm constantly aware of questioning you know so why do you think that why do you why are you going on what is that just an automatic assumption that you've made so yeah that's sort of what sits behind a lot of what i do i think that's wonderful so i hear critical thinking in there Along with yeah. lots of questioning techniques for yourself, and yeah. uh, and in in connection to other people as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I also hear, and I suppose the language that I would use to describe this is intra the importance of intrapersonal communication as well as interpersonal communication. Absolutely, yeah, I think so. It's it, it's um, there's a sort of metacognitive. Um, aspect to this which is thinking about your own thinking and being aware of when you're getting trapped into um, certain modes of thought and sometimes it's good to step outside of them and think well could I think of that in a different way so then the the question around what communication as a concept means to you we've started to dive into that can you say more well in a professional sense um Everything I do is concerned with language, and language for me is a tool that humans have developed. And it's a tool for making a meaning and transferring that meaning to another member of, of the species. Um, sound, that's a, that sounds like a rather convoluted way of, of putting it, really. But when you start to think of what language actually is it is exactly that it's it's a it's a tool for constructing the thoughts that we have um so then what we try and do is we trans try to transfer those thoughts that those meanings that we make for ourselves to another human being but the receiver is never going to interpret them in exactly the quite the same way that the sender has sent them. So that is the, like the, the dilemma, if you like, of um, communication, I think. Um, I, it's your question about also, you know, what, what does it mean to me? I mean, it's fundamental in everything I do, communication. It's fundamental. So you you phrase the 
communication around a dilemma, which is really interesting, which is that what I encode to share with somebody else, the receiver, to decode, is not yeah. a linear process. It's not uh, It's not an assured process. What I'm thinking no. is necessarily going to be received probably ever the way that I hope it might. And you coin that as a dilemma, rightly it, so. It is, <laughs> it, it is a dilemma. I mean, for most practical and, and immediate situations, it doesn't really make much uh, – it's not much of a problem. But it can be. You know, it can really be um, a problem by by slight changes in language. You can change a meaning, and your meaning that you think you put over is not the way that it's interpreted by another person. Um, for for instance, I mean, one of one of the things a long time ago when I started teaching English language teaching, my first posting was to communist China in the nineteen eighties at the time when the student protests were happening. And the students, and it, th those were the protests that culminated in the Tiananmen Square um, massacre. And those protests, students were using the Western term democracy, but it quickly became apparent to me that what they meant by democracy was not what we meant by democracy. Because all the cultural values that go with democracy were not in um, Chinese society. So what did they mean by democracy? And in the end, I came to the conclusion it was more to do with accountability, that there was no accountability in the, in the, in the system. Nobody could be held to account for their actions, which is subtly different from our idea of a representational democracy. And yet the word is the same. So it's easy to see how misconceptions across societies can happen. So the meaning that you made out of that was that you looked, it, you tell me if this is correct, you looked for a synonym, you looked for something that you right. approximated to and accountability was. That's closer to what, that was closer to what they were intending than our Western representational uh, democracy that, with all the paraphernalia that goes to the other elections and things like that. Yeah. It was it, it was interesting. It was interesting seeing how how um, cultural concepts uh, are transferred um, and how they take on different meanings and different lives in, in different contexts. So in your work, how would you describe the way you use communication? Uh, varied ways, varied ways. Um, I use written communication, not just um, verbal communication. Um, there are uh, sometimes the, the communication, let, let's take, it's easiest perhaps if I take a specific instance. Now, in a teacher training situation, there, there will be a a trainee teaching a lesson, I'll be watching and I'll be making notes. And then afterwards I'll give uh, feedback and that feedback will be written, but it will also be oral. And the written feedback needs to be 
very clear. It needs to be concise. Um, but at the same time, it needs to be encouraging and supportive. Written communication can come across as very um, judgmental and and very, very harsh. When you see a negative comment in writing, it can be very uh, blunt because there's no sort of softening um, verbiage that we put around um, a negative comment. When we want to make a negative comment, we will usually lead in with some sort of apology or, or you know, some sort of softening strategy, conversational strategy to get around it. But um, written, you don't have that. So there are there are various techniques that that I have um, that I've developed in the written feedback, for instance making sure that the positive aspects are are very clearly emphasised. Uh, and there's always going to be something positive, all right? I mean, sometimes lessons don't go very well. Everybody's lessons at times could be better, uh, mine included. I don't, I don't exempt myself from that. Um, so the written comments, we start with the positive. But if I've got to make negative comments I would rather than um, make it blunt I would phrase it in terms of a question so for instance uh, a lesson where the trainee has clearly underplanned so there's there's not enough thought gone into what's going to happen in the lesson so rather than say you didn't plan well enough turn it around and pose a question. Do you think the lesson could have been improved by uh, more you know, detail in your lesson plan? Um, and then put it over onto the trainee. So, so how can you then, what strategies can you put in place for your next lesson? Rather than the judgmental, this was not good enough, go away and do better. Which I don't think works. I think people respond to that very well. That's the written side of it. The verbal side of it, when we're doing feedback, is usually done in a group with other trainees as well. Um, and that leads to some very interesting group dynamics. So the trainee who's taught the lesson may not have gone so well um, from a tutor's point of view, because we've got specific criteria as laid out in the curriculum that we need to see demonstrated in lessons. The trainee, a very typical um, instance is where the trainee has thought they've put over a language point to foreign language learners really well. What it entailed was um, a 20 minute lecture on a language item. And they have, they've explained it, they've really understood it, they've gone away, they've researched the language, and they've gone in and they've told them all about it. Problem is that the learners have got a limited amount of language to start with, and you telling them lots of things. After about 30 seconds, you can see the shutters go up and they're not there. It's not going to work. So excessive teacher talk like that usually does not lead to a positive result in terms of learning. But the other trainees in the group might have seen it and thought, oh, wow, I didn't know that. 
So she, she or he communicated very well to her peers and demonstrated very well to her peers or her, his peers that they understood the language point and that the trainees got a lot out of it, but not the learners, unfortunately. So then we're in this issue, a situation, and this is a very, very common one where the trainees are supporting the training tools, but the tutor thinks that the lesson wasn't very good. And when that arises, again, there's no point in just baldly stating, no, you're all wrong. <laughs> That's not going to work. We've got to, we've got to do, I, I, mentally it's for me and when i'm trying to train trainers this is another aspect of my job that i didn't talk to you i don't only teach teachers i don't only train people to be teachers i also train the trainers who are going to train those people to be teachers so if you like i'm a lead lead trainer one of the things we we emphasize is you can't you've got to You've got to sort of say to this to the trainees, come with me down the garden path, all right? Just come with me for a moment. Yeah, come on. Follow me. And I'll point things out as we go along. But you tell me what you think about them and why they're important. So rather than bold statements, it's a technique that we 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 broadly label eliciting. And that is the meaning making, is it not? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So by by a process of questioning, some open questions, some closed questions, and these techniques, these teacher training techniques, you've got to have a very good awareness of different question types. Um, you've got to avoid sort of affective, um, emotional-based questions. You know, so saying, so how do you feel the lesson went? Well, fine, we can get that out of the way. But that's not important because now I want to know, well, what's the evidence that the lesson went this way or that way? How do you know? So then we move on to a different type of questioning technique to get that. Yeah. Wow. There is uh, so much in what you say. <laughs> and I think the thing that, that the thing that is incredibly important across all fields, in in my opinion, is to be able to communicate in a way that encourages people to be able to hear what yes. you to yeah. transmit, the meaning that you are intending, because often we have to share uncomfortable um, ideas. Yes. And yeah. that's what you're talking about with feedback and the way that you described the techniques that you choose to use for both written and verbal. You know, written, you, you talked about making it clear and concise and encouraging and recognising that the, the formality of the written work yeah. requires some dialing down, some some coating of, of something softer around it, whereas verbally you're able to recognise the context and, the, and, and, and the, the relational elements that you have with the individuals. They might be able to hear something actually mm. more direct but because it's verbal, because it's relational. But that yeah. thing of positioning what you, being really clear and and um, having a clarity around how you want your 
the message to be received and making choices about that. Yes, yeah, I think you've encapsulated it there, and 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 it's it's important to realise that this works both for we're talking about negative and positive feedback because it's not enough for a lesson or for a trainee to have a success if they just if it's a fluke they've got to know why it's a success and be able to sort of rationalize it because they've got to go out into the real world and reproduce this every time they teach so they're going to have the 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 same sort of analytical objectivity about their own lessons that they have when they watch their peers lessons because when they're in it, they're feeling it, they're experiencing it, they're doing it. They're not necessarily yeah. analysing what is happening. No. So the capacity to scaffold for them their own understanding of what was successful and what was less successful is really yeah. important. So that role that feedback plays of another person outside oneself saying, hey, you know, I, I noticed you did that and the impact of that is this. Yeah, both positively and negatively. That's such a skill, such an important. Well, it is important because you want to know straight away from the trainee. Um, you did that. That was good. It really worked. Did you know why you did it? You know, did you plan it or was it purely fluke? If it was purely fluke, well done. You fit on something that you can repeat. Also, if but be conscious of why it worked. And likewise, if you plan for it and it worked, well done again. Yeah, so you can repeat it again, but now you know why it works. That's right. So so the I'm, value of experiencing something and then having yeah. a trusted advisor, whoever that is, uh, walking with you along the way. Um, yeah, yeah. From within you, you, the knowledge that you couldn't have necessarily put into words, but you maybe felt. Yeah, you could, you, you can, some of this is sort of secret teacher's business as well. <laughs> You won't find a lot of these sort of techniques in teaching books. They 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 only come alive when you are coached and you open yourself up. And, and I think also as trainers, we have to realise just how vulnerable people are when they're in a, a, a situation like this. They really are putting themselves open. And very often they're in a situation that is completely beyond anything that they've experienced before. They 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 think they know what it means to be a teacher, and they think they know, and they've probably based it off learning a, a second language at high school or something like that. And but it's not like that at all. Once you're in the in the role of teacher, you've got to conceptualise what you do in a completely different way. It's not just knowledge of uh, subject. That is important. You cannot walk into a classroom, any classroom, content, language, whatever you want to call it, and not know your subject, at least for what you're going to teach that day. In the early days, that's what it will be. So it's knowledge of subject, but it's also knowledge of how to put that subject over. And telling students often doesn't work. You've got to get them to experience it, take it on board, and to make the language part of their own cognitive processes so that they can then use these new words, these new expressions, these new structures to create the meanings 
that they then try and communicate with other people. It's profound, isn't it? Um, I, I say this every time in a training session. We're not dealing with insignificant things here. We are dealing with the stuff of who we are. We are dealing with our own, the fundamentals of what we are as human beings. And what we haven't talked about up to this point, but I feel that now is the time to share, <laughs> is that you taught me. And yes. so as you speak, I have a visceral response to what you're saying because I have experienced that and mm. I have seen you elicit um, understandings, you know, I've put from myself and others in a way that was so deeply trusting mm. and mm. Um, safe. Mm. And, and what you just talked about, John, around this is the stuff of who we are and how we are in the world um, is why teaching can be such a profound um, career choice. And Absolutely. it's so, so difficult because we are placing ourselves up for critique and yeah. um, critique at best. One of the things that I've always maintained, and, and, and this is where I differ with many of my colleagues, particularly those who maybe work in the university sector, is that if you are going to teach teaching, you need to be a teacher yourself. It's not enough to know all the theory and everything. You have to be able to demonstrate that as well. So the ultimate test for me, and I've used it several times, uh, many times actually, not necessarily at the, the certificate level, but maybe diploma and graduate diploma, is so you want, okay, you know, you, you've got some questions about, come and watch me. Yeah, I'm, I'm, so my classroom was always open to trainees, and I've been more often observed teaching than not. Um, I hate this idea of a closed classroom where people can't go and watch what you do. I think we should have enough um, professional pride to be able to say, I, it doesn't matter. You can come, and this has happened to me several times. I've I've been teaching, turned around, and at the back there's been a row of people. Who, they used to use me as let's go and watch watch your lesson. Is John teaching? Okay, we'll go and watch him. And I've had delegations troop in. I've had the the boss, the big boss, just standing at the back watching me. Um, when we've had takeovers and changes of, of management. Um, Usually a manager will come in and say, well, I want to instigate an observation routine. I said, well, if you're going to do that, start with me. Because if they come, if you come and watch me, then the other teachers are not going to be so defensive and afraid. So, so you're modelling good practice there. Well, I hope so. But part of that is also being what I said at the beginning. You've got to constantly assess what you do in the classroom and you've got to constantly look for ways to not necessarily ways to change but ways to adapt um hone your craft it's it's a craft absolutely yeah 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 it, it, it's this this um constant um thinking about what you're doing as a professional and being aware not not being aware of the danger of falling into 
sort of set routines and then repeating. I don't think I ever repeated any. I used the same material several times, but I don't think I ever repeated the same lesson. It, it strikes me that the comment that you made about people coming to, to the, the, the practice approach that you have around transparency, come on, watch me, links back to your value of, of openness. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I firmly believe that. that um, but it's, it's a very hard thing to get over, actually. A lot of teachers don't like being observed in the classroom. Um, yeah. um, even even when they've been observed by me before, <laughs> they still don't like it. But, you know. I've observed you. Um, and what I remember distinctly, I think I've observed you once. I remember distinctly the presence that you held in the room. You were very... Um, uh, dramatic. I can't think of a better word than that. Um, but it, it, I didn't know at the time, but I do know now that you had a you have a drama background, and that has uh, that that came across clearly that mm. there was a way of holding the attention and using the space around you, and your board work was always excellently organised and very neat, which is something I could never manage. <laughs> um, do you want to speak to what you what you think you were bringing or do bring into the classroom space from other disciplines and that impact on how you communicate? I've got, as you know, I've got wide interests when it comes to things like literature, art, music, um, theatre, film, um, all of that feeds into, and I'm lucky that I'm teaching in a, a subject area where those things can be allowed to influence what I do in a classroom, because we're constantly looking for a topic or a subject that can interest the students. Um, I'm aware that when I'm teaching, I can be or can come across as um, quite a, a, a powerful personality at the front of the class. Um, but I'm also, hopefully, constantly aware that it's not enough to be a showman. You cannot get away on just being the entertainer. There's got to be something solid there that you're trying to do. Um, the subject, the language, making sure that the students get enough practice and then do it again and again. Um, all of these things that that I hope I include in my lessons. But at the same time, I think it's, I think that's me. I think that's my personality is to be something of a showman, a show person. But I've also seen really, really good teachers and, and, and there are quite a few I can think of in the past. And it's actually, one of your questions is, you know, um, about, um, impactful communicators i could think some of the teachers that i've seen in the past have not necessarily been the most showy ones there's one teacher i could think of in particular it was zen and the art of teaching there's minimal language and yet the students were absolutely riveted and it, it the magic sort of happened in the classroom but not with him it was a he this time um being necessarily a showman so one of the things i do say in my training sessions is this is me be aware that i am a little bit of a show person 
you can never be me. You've got to find your own classroom persona. Do you remember that? <laughs> I, also, I don't, but the but it makes perfect sense. So the authenticity, it's about being your authentic self with all the skills around that, but yeah. really um, being able to find the authentic teacher within you as a person. Yeah, and and, and all the time I'm saying to, to trainees, it's not about you. It's not about you. Yeah. You're just the vehicle. You're just the, the conduit for this stuff to happen. So, and that, going back to communication, you are the conduit. So how can you do this effectively? Yeah. And that raises, that that comes back to the the golden phrase when we're, when one is learning to teach English as an additional language that teacher talk needs to be minimized mm. is another way of saying we need to allow other people to talk um, yeah so it's, you... it's not just though it's not just being minimized as well and, and then and this is where trainees sometimes get a, a slightly skewed idea they, they because we focus on teacher talk a lot um and and i should explain to to other people we focus on teacher talk because if you're put in a situation where you yourself are vulnerable, you're at the front of the class, what are you going to do? Most people's reaction is to talk a lot, um, which in a language classroom is not necessarily going to be very helpful. So it's not that teacher talk is wrong. Teacher talk is actually super important because you are the model for the learners. You are providing them with the model of the language. And yes, uh, a lot of foreign language learners have gone out with a slight black country accent in in my lessons. I don't think it's I don't think it's solved them. It's too funny. <laughs> it's um, it's selective. Your, your teacher talk should be selected and chosen, not just random. Beautiful. And that comes back to your the questions that you're choosing. I think one of the most powerful things that I came away with uh, an understanding about is how one uses questions, mm. how, how transferable that is across so many different sectors. So the, the, other, th the other thing we haven't talked about, which uh, sorry to interrupt you, because I'm going to do something now, which just actually goes contrary to that, which is listening. It's so important, I think, in communication is to listen. And again, this is what we tell our trainees. You've got to listen to the the the, the learners. Don't don't um give them a chance to try and say something. Um and also with the trainees, listening to the trainees. I think the uh, research around, I remember somebody saying this to me, whether it was you or somebody else, the research, the research that says, how long does a teacher wait <laughs> to answer after they've asked That's probably me, yeah, yeah. It's, it's something like yeah, that. Yeah, well, very common. Yeah, three seconds. Very common technique, yeah, which I, maybe I used in, in the, the, the programme that you, you did was to say, one of the trainees was probably jumping in. I said, well, just count to three, you know, before you try and, you know, interrupt. 
because learners are going, especially with the second language, they're going to have problems processing the language. Which has so much validity in other ways. When somebody's emotional, we have trouble processing. We need more time to, to process. Yeah, we do. Because emotions are getting in the way. You know, there's that that desire, the, capa the capacity to hold space, which is mm. listening at, with intent, um, comes back to so many things that, you, that you've talked about. Um, I think I, I enjoy the, the idea of choosing your words carefully in that teacher talk, mm. um, you know, be really clear about what it is that you're trying to communicate and use chosen words mm. um, and, and the value of questioning. Can I ask how your communication skills impact your life in general? <laughs> I'm aware in, in life in general um, of trying to listen more. I try to listen a lot more um, and try not to impose my own um, sort of stories on people. Um, I find that you get more meaningful communication if you're prepared to listen to people. If you if you start off by trying to tell everybody your great story all the time, then you know it pales after a while. Um, and that's. that's story element that the fact that you you call it story yeah the fact that we're constructing our reality around us all the time we do yeah yeah and that that's that's probably a whole other conversation which i'll be happy to have at some point the way that we create our stories for ourselves um and i think that is also part of the the the, the um the force of narrative, the way we are, uh, we try to create narratives for ourselves out of things which may be totally randomly connected. And yet we feel we have to put them into some sort of narrative. Um, that's a conversation for another time, maybe. Uh, you are uh, an amazing communicator, John, which is why I've asked you to talk about communication and and so thoughtful and um, so experienced and and humble in it. How, in all of its all of its breadth and depth, how did you learn to communicate the way that you do with all the wisdom that you've developed, se separate from your work experience, which sort of is like a dynamo. It sort of self generates. How, how did you begin? Well, I. I, I... I can't separate it actually from my from my professional experience because I think my professional experience has changed me as a person. Um, most of my professional life has been uh, coaching, training, working with people who want to become teachers, and it's not. There's not a. I can't point to a single thing. It's a gradual understanding and, and you know, I, I would like to apologise for some of my early courses that I taught to the trainees. I think I was far too didactic and far too, um, you know, I thought I knew it and this is how it's got to be. So I think I've moved quite, quite a lot in my professional practice over the years, but it's been gradual. It's not been a, a single moment, a flash of light or anything like that. But it's 
it's more to do with realizing the the self reflection and the reflective practice and that habit of constantly questioning what you're doing um when you're doing these sort of things you know not you have to question yourself all the time but if you're being a trainer i do think you have to question yourself about how you're doing and what you're doing and and what the impact's going to be mm. um yeah it's reflective practice yeah, yeah. absolutely do you, is there a way that you do you have a routine for that a method it's not so much a, a method more of a habit which is just to stop and think a quiet time i like um i've moved away from perhaps giving um uh, immediate feedback i have to on some courses but i would much prefer to if i can i like to arrange the course so that um trainees teach the lessons are over and finished and we all go home we do the feedback the next morning and everybody's thought it through and been able to sort of come off the heart you usually get a high when you're teaching it's a, you know it's, it's a performance however you want to do, deal with it and people are usually quite pumped up when they finish so just everybody calm down we'll have a little bit of a quiet moment that that is so important i think um if i can I'll delay feedback till the next day. Uh, that gives me time to think about things and think through. Yeah. That seems a very wise approach to me. We, <laughs> it's not always possible. No, well, we, we, we work in a situation where results are required mm. in short time frames, and yet that idea of of space to, to mm. for, for things to settle is such a... I would imagine an age-old approach um, that carries a lot of wisdom. Well, sometimes trainees are question me and, and they take me to task about, so, well, how can you decide whether a lesson is acceptable or not? That's quite a hard question with quite a simple answer in a way, which is, I'm not looking at you, I'm looking at the learners. So have they learned something has it been useful to them not what you did as a as a teacher or what you thought you did so that i don't think we should forget that the ultimate aim of everything that i was trying to do in the classroom not really to do with the teachers so much as what's going to happen to the learners that's amazing because the question what impact are you looking for you're looking mm. for movement in the audience you're looking for recognition for mm. Um, so yeah, how do you know know it when you see it that a, a message that a, a message has landed? Um, it can be a, a variety of things. Most noticeably, um, say you've got a trainee who's trying to put over a new piece of language to a group of learners from a different language background. Those learners then need to be given the opportunity to use it and. Whether they use it successfully or not, in a way, is neither here nor there. But they attempt to use it in a meaningful context. That means some sort of learning has taken place. It may take them two or three attempts to get it. But 
if they revert and they don't even try and use it, and they revert to using language that they've had before, then you know that it's not been as successful as it could be. So the application of the piece of information. Yeah. Yeah, has the message been received? Has it been internalised? And has that person then tried to use that new that new neural pathway in the brain that you've just provided them with? Have they tried to use that to create their own meaning? And that's a magic moment, isn't it? We both absolutely yeah. when when somebody that that maybe is a, a little quieter in class or um has a lack of confidence but then is trying something and you see this sort of you see the pride that that comes up and the sort of yeah. swelling of the chest type experience because they know that they've got it they've got it yeah yeah oh, you get a trainee who says something like i live in melbourne uh for three weeks and it, you can sometimes get a response by adopting a non-verbal communication strategy like a quizzical look really and then they, they cognitive that you can see the wheels begin to go and they say i have lived in melbourne and then you say yes and the look on that person's face when it goes you think yes well done excellent and we can all relate to that can't we when we say something that doesn't land with somebody even with you know, where, where we're both speaking at a, at a native proficiency, as the terminology goes, um, mm. and there's a quizzical look on someone's face, and you're like, "Ooh, I'm not quite sure that I expressed that in the way that I intended." And then you might reword it slightly, and then there's a, and then the conversation continues to flow, and you're like, "Okay, mm. message landed." Yeah. yeah. Um, as we draw this wonderful conversation to a close, John. Um, We've covered so many areas. Um, I'm interested in 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 a summary statement from you, which is pretty tricky. <laughs> is, there, is there a golden truth? And you may have already shared it, but perhaps uh, re repeat if you feel you have a golden truth that you feel uh, you've learned about communication along your life path. I think this this. Not a golden truth, but there are some rules of thumb, um, which um, one is listen first. Listen first, because you, certainly in my professional practice, that's what I would do. I would listen first. Then I think question rather than explain, because by questioning, you get people people's responses and by the phrasing of your question you can get them to question what they're doing um, rather than you try to effect change by didactically telling somebody to do something or so I think two, that's two to, two to be going on with I like that very much we yeah. like, like simple rules to follow I think we'll all be Listen, grateful for those question yeah and think about it think about yourself you know constantly reflect on what you're doing and how you're doing it beautiful yeah um again we may have touched on this before when you shared the idea of the teacher who was different to you but mm. I'm really interested in in how 
in the, the people that have influenced you, not necessarily taught you to do what you do or, you know, being in your life necessarily, but is there somebody that you hold up as a significantly impactful communicator that you admire? There are several trainers that I've been privileged to watch over the time that I've been a teacher and teachers that I've watched. And I thought, that's really good. What you're doing in the classroom, what you're doing with this group of trainees is really good. And in each instance, it's been for a different sort of reason why it's been good. So I don't think there's one particular person, but there have been some good, there have been some shocking ones as well. I mean, some negative evidence there that I would really want to say, you really shouldn't be doing this job, you know. Um, but even negative experiences also reinforce what or, or what you think is best practice. Um, yeah, I mean, there's I could think of one trainer in particular, um, and he his approach to doing feedback was very much this Zen and the art of teaching practice feedback. It's just the the exact phrase of the question to elicit the response from the trainee that he needed, uh, which then revealed to the trainee who said it what the problem was or what the success was or why that success had happened. Um, so from him in particular, uh, his name was Bill McCann, and he was a teacher at the Trove uh, University. I, I, I definitely took away John, go away and think about how you phrase these questions to get what, to get the trainee to realise what they need to realise. Well, my final question is, if we're talking metacognitive, I don't know that it is metacognitive, but um, how do you farewell people? What do you like to do when you say goodbye? Um, I like the idea that in most languages, the uh, the farewell is um, I'll see you again. I'll be the same au revoir. So that's how I like to finish. It's part of a continuum. It's not an ending. I'll see you again. Thank you so much, John. And thank you. In this episode, John has shared his three-step approach to golden truths of communication. Listen first then question next rather than explain. Try to affect change through questioning rather than didactically trying to affect change. And thirdly, consistently reflect on what you are doing and how you are doing it. My gratitude goes to John Bunce for his time, wisdom and work, all shared with clarity and gentle eloquence. Thank you all for listening. Go well and see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Compelling Communicators. Thanks to Nina Humphreys for composing the music you're listening to now. See you next time.